Welcome to The Lisa Show. Being financially responsible can make our life better in a lot of ways. It's like the gift you give to yourself in the moment for the future. But have you thought about the ways that it can really bless the lives of not just you and your family, but others in need? Because when we have uh, more money and we can manage our money well, we have room to give and give more to those in need, whether it's through an organized charity or close loved ones in difficult situations. Um, so how can we focus our financial responsibility to help others, not just as a byproduct, but as our intention? Well, Joyce Martyr, friend of the show and author of the book, The Financial Mindset Fix, is a great person to ask this question to. So knowing how we can be a little bit more focused in our giving, we will welcome in Joyce. Thank you so much, Lisa. Happy to be here. Well, let's just get right to it. I mean, how does being financially responsible actually allow you to help others? Well, just as you said, I loved your intro. It was very, very well said that when we take responsibility for ourselves, it's it's not selfish. It's, it's <laughs> self-care. And when we are financially prosperous and secure, we can help others. We can be of greater service to our friends, our family, our community, the world, the environment. And that helps everyone, including ourselves. I also really mm-hmm. loved how you framed taking care of our finances is taking care of ourselves in the future. Hmm. I think sometimes people avoid taking financial responsibility. I've done it myself because it's overwhelming or stressful or scary yeah. or we feel hopeless and frustrated. Uh, and But when we, ta- we're, we take a look at it, we face our fears and we become empowered and we can take small steps to improve our financial health, not only for ourselves, but for others. Well, it's a different focus, isn't it? You know, a lot of times it's focused on a budget or on what we want to accomplish in our life. So we think, well, I need this much money for college or this much for retirement or this much for a down payment on a house. It's always sort of outward focused and goal centered. Um, And I think in that, there's that idea. And I was certainly guilty of this, especially early on when, (laughs) you know, listen, I've been through some financial (laughs) situations. I found myself in some, you know, where there's just not a lot of money. And and it's really easy to say to yourself, well, I'll give money once I have enough to give. And that, that, that idea of enough, you know, sort of changes, right? And so you're intention may never come true unless you change that. And so I'm, I'm wondering what your perspective of, of the mindset of, of I'll give money once I have money to give and how you sort of change that thinking so that you don't get stuck in never giving. You know, I was so moved by one of my clients who is 65 and she's dealing with a lot of financial stress because she recently became disabled and she hadn't really properly saved for retirement. Mm. And she, we've been working on her financial anxiety and her taking financial responsibility. And she shared a beautiful story about giving some money to a charity recently. And it was a small amount, but to her, I think it was $10. Mm-hmm. And to her, how that made her feel, it helped her move from this place of fear and stress to actually feeling really good about being of service to others. And somehow that gave her energy <laughs> to, wow. to feel more empowered and, mm. and make phone calls that she needed to make to her bank about her mortgage and, and to, you know, make some calls about, you know, some resources that might be able, 
available to help mm-hmm. her. Um, so it really helped her shift to a different, more proactive, more positive mindset that helped herself too. Wow. Do you recommend to budget, you know, and put that in your budget to be more giving and, and charitable? Yeah. So in my book, The Financial Mindset Fix, I have a financial health wheel. And each spoke of the wheel is a different aspect of financial health. And there are things like, you know, paying your bills on time, focusing on saving, Uh having a budget, but also one of the spokes is charity. And the reason that is there is, you know, obviously being compassionate and being of service to others is kind and generous and, and helps the world go round, but it also improves our own mental health and makes us have a sense of purpose and well-being, which the research shows is one of the biggest um, factors that leads to happiness. So it's actually, it helps us too <laughs> to yeah. be of service to others. And you mentioned volunteer work. If, if you don't have financial means, you might have time as a resource that you can offer. Mm. I once had a client who was dealing with several personal problems and she got unemployed. She lost her job, had a breakup, was in a bad space, and she decided that she was going to go volunteer in Haiti for three weeks. Oh, wow. And when she came back, she said, I have no problem. <sighs> yeah. And I said, what do you mean? She says, I have a healthy body. I have running water. I have food to eat. These problems that I had previously are nothing in comparison to the struggle that wow. some people are dealing with. I appreciate that story. You know, Isn't sometimes... beautiful? You, yeah, because... You, it's so easy to get stuck in your own life and your own situation and being able to take a moment to step back and appreciate things from a different viewpoint, I think is it can be so empowering. And it's another reason why we need each other to share our stories and our vulnerable situations, because it it forms these connections and gives us good ideas on how we can get out of those limiting mindsets. Absolutely. I, that's one of the greatest blessings of being a therapist is that I've had the honor of, of reaping so much wisdom from my amazing clients. Wow. And that's why I wrote my book. I wanted to share it with mm-hmm. others. Like, because, this is what I've learned. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, specifically, there's just so many different good charities and organizations out there that we can give our money to, you know, that will use the the resources in the best way instead of reinventing the wheel when you want to help out. How how do you know where you should put your money in? How do you choose? Personally, I use the holiday season as a time to give to charities, and I gather, I get a lot of mailings because I've given to a lot of charities, Uh and so I I gather those throughout the year, and then we have a family meeting. I have 16- and 19-year-old daughters and and 22- and 25-year-old stepkids, and we get together as a group with my husband, and we talk about we, we give to one charity for social justice, one for the environment, one for animals, and uh, one politically. And then we, um, we, my oldest daughter is kind of a researcher, and she hops online and, and researches the efficacy and ethics behind each organization, and then we, we choose and, and, and pick from there. This year I'm having each of my kids pick a charity that they would like to give to as part of their Christmas present and, oh, wow. and to d- determine how much of their presents they would like to give to charity. 
Joyce Martyr is the founder of a counseling practice and author of the book, The Financial Mindset Fix. And we're talking about really the fruits of financial responsibility and how if you have more, you can give more. And also it creates a, a peace of mind and a ripple effect in how you deal and see the world. And and I um, and you've really given us some really great ideas about how you can sort of change your thinking and, and, and plan it in and budget in to being generous. And it, when it comes to helping those, though, that we know in real life that we love, you know, and, and yeah. they need help specifically with money, it's certainly, I mean, I think sometimes the advice is mixed, right? Like sometimes it's, ooh, does that come with strings attached or not? Or is it, what is your perspective on, on, on what kind of boundaries to have when we're helping people we love? I've actually written some articles on this recently. I blog for Psychology Today, and I think that it's important for us to take into account our own financial health. So if we are not financially stable and we end up sort of giving to others, we can really get ourselves in a bad place, and that's not helpful for anyone. So I've I've done this in the past. I, I tend to be a caretaker and a, a people pleaser, and I prioritize other people their needs before my own. And that those are some codependent characteristics in my practice. I've seen people with loved ones who maybe deal with addiction or depression or other problems. And then, you know, the desire is to help them financially, but in some ways you might actually be enabling them to stay stuck. So Mm. it's important to take care of your own financial health first, to think about the integrity of the relationship and, and to be clear about you know, when you loan someone money, you have to understand that there is a, a possibility that you may never get that back. And so you have to be okay with that. If you're in a partnership, your partner needs to be okay with that. Um, otherwise, you shouldn't do it. And you need to be, you know, pretty clear about what the expectations are and um, make sure, again, that you're not putting your own high financial health at risk by trying to help others in a way that's not to scale with your your ability. Yeah. And and when we are looking then personally to be more financially responsible givers, what's your advice? Well, I think that we all have those areas of excess. Mm-hmm. So looking at where we can trim the fat. You know, I think we all may, might have different areas where we spend too much money. My husband has a small Amazon problem. <laughs> we have boxes showing up. <laughs> well, a small Amazon and, problem. What does you know, that mean? Like just too many? <laughs> right. And I have a problem with Target. So Got it. I, I just can't go there. So <laughs> so we all have those trigger points, but where where can we cut the fat? You know, what can we do without? Where is the excess that we could give to others? Yeah. And that would maybe not only help others, but also create less clutter in our mm-hmm. lives and less stress. So it's it's really a, a mindfulness practice. You know, for those who are thinking, okay, I know I need to give more. And for whatever reason, maybe that this was difficult growing up or they're on a strict budget or they just have that sort of scarcity mindset. They, they know it's a good thing intellectually, but their heart is like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. Um, how can they move the needle a little bit on that scale and and be more generous? So this might sound a little woo-woo, but I <laughs> believe that money is is like love or the breath. It's it has flow. So there's ebb and flow. And we want to be in a healthy flow state. 
And when we hold on to our money, it's like a river that's stagnant. It's not moving. Mm -hmm. And then I think that we block receiving it. And so actually, if we give it and we trust and we put it out there in the world by giving to a charity, I believe in kind of a, a spiritual process that then you're, you're trusting in the flow, and when you give, you're trusting that that will come back to you yeah. in, in another way. And so, um, you know, if you're, you're helping people in one way, and of course that isn't necessarily the intention of it, but I think when you're taking right action in the world, you, you get rewarded in, in other ways, sometimes unexpectedly. Yeah, unexpectedly. Well, we th- appreciate your time, Joyce, and for all these good, um, you know, advice about just being able to be, you know, see the benefits of being financially responsible. And it's a great motivator, not only just to help ourselves, but um, to consider the impact that we can have on others in society at large. Absolutely. Thank you. Joyce Smarter is the founder of the counseling practice Urban Balance, author of the book, The Financial Mindset Fix. To find her book and learn more, you can go to joyce-martyr.com. It's time for another edition of Lisa's Christmas Music Sampler. And, you know, privileged to have her back. Uh, We collabed with her with a TV show last time she was here. Who knows what will happen this time? It's Lindsay Sterling. Welcome back to The Lisa Show. Thanks for having me back. Uh, It it seems like there's been a bit since we saw you. Certainly a global pandemic. That happened. Um, Ah, yes. (laughs) But now as we sort of make our way into the holiday season, uh, I I know that it's a question that people ask each other like on the subway or on the bus, but how are you? You know, I'm doing really well. I cannot complain. And um, I I just feel like I'm so grateful all the more for everything I have after having a lot of it being, you know, kind of taken away. I I don't want to dwell too much in the past, obviously, because the the future is now and the and. And even with the, the holiday season, something to, great to look forward to. But um, where life, I know for a lot of performers and musicians, sort of got turned upside down, what was it for you that kept you going through that time where you couldn't do this thing that you loved? You know, it's interesting. I feel like I my options, you know, turned into several things that uh, I've actually brought into the present. You know, like I, I started doing more streaming on Twitch and realized, oh, my gosh, this was kind of a default but I really actually enjoy the community that I've gotten to create with my fans on, you know, these streaming platforms. And, you know, so some of these things that were like last resort stuff, I've been like, wow, this actually is kind of nice and kind of cool. And um, so that was one of the things I did also, um, you know, last Christmas, I, I rallied. You, the you gave me my... your heart, as I remember. And then the very next day I threw it away. That wasn't what you were going to say. <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't remember that particular <laughs> thing, but um, if you say so, <laughs> but I, I do have such fond memories. We did a Christmas special last year. We filmed it in the middle of the pandemic um, so carefully, and it was such a blessing to be able to get with my team and do that and to create something that we were proud of when it was a time when it was really hard to find ways to create things that you were proud of. So um those are some of the things I fell back on, and I'm just grateful I got to stay creative. So then staying in the present, here we are in the holiday season, and our minds are turned towards traditions and family and connection. What are the things that, that growing up that the Sterlings were like, man, this is this is a thing we do year after year? Let's 
see what are well we're big into the pajama tradition you know getting new pajamas on christmas eve and i it to this day is like a tradition my mom doorbell ditches the pajamas to us and it's <laughs> hilarious like you know now we're all adults but we still wait around on christmas eve for like is is the delivery going to happen and we all try to catch her and one year we we caught her and anyways it's just hilarious that even now that we know she still tries to sneakily escape with the doorbell ditched pajamas um so yeah that's one thing but um i mean just baking and we do a christmas craft every year which i love and i don't know that's some of our favorite things uh it, it's traditions and it's connection and it's time with family I, i'm wondering i want to sample a, a, a song um I'll let you be the pick of, of the song that we play. But if there's someone that has been living under a rock for the last decade and doesn't know or maybe hasn't heard your music before, to give them a sample of, of, of a, a Christmas song or um, rendition that, that we could share with folks. Oh, man. Well, my favorite Christmas song to this day, but especially growing up, it was always Carol of the Bells. And so I say let's let's give a taste of my version and my twist of Carol of the Bells. And that's Carol of the Bells. I'm visiting with Lindsay Sterling as part of Lisa's Christmas Music Sampler. And, you know, I, I love that that you introed it as your version of it because you can definitely tell that it is, in fact, you. You know, it, it has that Sterling uh, kind of spin on it that I know people have grown to love. And, and now it's the world over. It's not just the United States over. It's not just the West over. Worldly fam- Worldwide famous, I should say. Uh, how, how has that changed how you celebrate the holidays? I mean, it, you know, in a way it has changed it because ever since I wrote my, you know, my Christmas album, I kind of have celebrated Christmas through, on and off throughout the entire year. So, you know, you write Christmas music in the summer so you can release it in the winter. You plan a Christmas tour in the fall so that you can go on it in the winter. You know, so it's just kind of funny that um, I, you know, when people are like, you can't play Christmas music before <laughs> you know thanksgiving i'm like oh pish posh i've been i celebrate <laughs> christmas year round and i still absolutely love it i i love getting into the season when it's like still sweaty and hot outside so yeah when we talk about christmas songs there are those songs you i mean you mentioned the carol of the bells being that you know tradition for you there are these songs that have these these very like visceral just they they bring back either the memory of the loved one that that couldn't be there one holiday or is no longer with us. Is is there a particular song aside from tradition that you have either an original or a version of that has sort of that deeper meaning to you either around Christmas or around a loved one? Yeah, absolutely. I um, I did a version of Angels We Have Heard on High, which you know kind of does tie back to tradition because another thing we Sterlings did was we would go caroling. And I didn't realize that that's something that people didn't do all the time. I thought that was just <laughs> a thing that everybody did, but we'd make cookies and then we'd carol to our neighbors. And I don't know why, but Angels We Have Heard on High was the song that the Sterling family rocked at. Like we had all the harmonies, like three part harmonies, and we would go sing this to our friends and neighbors. And um, so that's always been like, a very like timely song that takes me back to my childhood. But since having my dad pass away several years ago, it's, it's made me just really think about him every time I hear that song, tying me back to those childhood memories, but also the fact that I believe so strongly that he's now my angel. I believe that he helps me and comforts me and gives me the love and strength that I sometimes don't have on my own. And so now when I hear angels, we've heard on high, I remember the memories. And I also think of my personal angel up there. I love that background uh, around it. Let's play the song.
And as I listened to that song, I couldn't help but imagine a, a porch full of Sterlings harmonizing <laughs> the three-part harmonies on the Glorias, especially. I mean, that that is some musical talent. You know, thank you. I, I'm very grateful. I was raised in a home where music was just kind of a part of our house. And, you know, like my grandma taught us to sing harmonies when we were kids. And um, so I'm, I'm grateful for that upbringing in music that kind of led me to the violin and where I'm at now. So you know, thank you, Angels We've Heard on High. <laughs> it, it's such a great uh, just time of year um, to be able to have friends and loved ones and w- whether, you know, our time of year means performing for thousands or millions, you know, or it just means gathering around the fireplace and and, and sharing, you know, stories of Christmas past. I, th- I think it's a, a unique time of year where everything else really just doesn't matter. It sort of disappears and, and we're able to do that are, are you doing anything particular for this Christmas, something either new or visiting something long forgotten that's going to make this year special? Well, gosh, I think going on tour is going to make this year special again because, you know, we weren't able to do it last year. And now on tour, we have like our, we've done it enough times that we have our own Christmas traditions as part of the tour. It's like most of the time you think of family, you know, and, you know, children and around the Christmas tree. But, you know, for those of us that don't have families of our own, it's like, um, you know, we make traditions wherever you're at and the people around you become your family. And so even though I'll get to go home on Christmas Eve to be with my biological family that I love so much, um, we always do like a secret Santa from bus to bus, which mm. I love. And it, it turns into like a mix between thoughtful gifts, gifts and gag gifts. And then the last gift we all give is like a very thoughtful gift to our secret Santa. And we have to like sneakily deliver them around the tour. And I don't know, it's a tradition we started several years ago. And um, it's like actually been a very like bonding experience as people like try to learn about the person that's their secret Santa. And um, it's something we all look forward to. It's something that I think a lot of people connect with you for because, I mean, you're amazingly talented. And, and I, I know that you know that and, and whether or not you feel comfortable when someone says something like that. <laughs> I, I hope I, I hope that you know that, you know, that that's some of the draw, but, but your genuineness and and knowing that not only you care for those whom you perform with and you care for, like you said, your biological family of origin, which I love, um, but also you care for those whom the music touches and hope to be able to inspire hope or the, the thought and meaning of Christmas as, as you share and perform. Is there one particular song that as you look to the tour this holiday season that you're just super excited to, to play and that maybe we could share right now? Yeah, you know, I'm going to throw out there one that's, um, it's actually my favorite cover I've ever done. And I've done a lot of covers. Uh-huh. And, it, you know, it, it got thrown onto the Christmas album. It was kind of the last song I wrote for it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really cool. And it's a cover of I Wonder As I Wander, which is a Celtic hymn. And I decided to take it in a very different direction and a much like, I guess, kind of a darker direction. But still, it's a song about hope. And it's a song about turning to Christ. Um through the dark times, like as we all wander and get lost and sometimes feel like we're blinded, but like turning towards whatever your beacon of hope is. And for me, that is, you know, my spirituality in Christ and realizing that that is the way that we can all like whatever your beacon of hope is, like turning to it and not running from it. And so, yeah, I I love this song. I love performing it. And um, we have some really special stuff we're going to do this tour that I've never done before. And I'm actually training for it currently to try to be able to do it. So um, (laughs) I'm very excited about this song. 
it's been so amazing to have you here on the show to be able to share some of your music, to be able to share some of your spirit, um, and and just be able to hear about the success that you're having. You know that you are always welcome back on the show, and we hope that you take that invitation seriously because we mean it. Anytime. If you're bored, you can try and call us. We will pick up that phone and we will talk about whatever you've got going on, okay? Oh my gosh, I love this invitation. Thank you so much. (laughs) Middle of the night. I'm not promising that anyone will answer, but you're more than welcome to try. Lindsay Sterling, thank you for being a guest here on The Lisa Show as another Lisa's Christmas music sampler. Conversations around body positivity are increasing. So are the negative and false images of beauty. We still see unattainable standards on social media, online, and in movies. And it can be difficult, mostly for women, to feel they're most confident when every magazine and post is promoting products that say that they will help you look like someone else. The best version of you, you know, sort of gets lost in the message. So how can we stay body positive without having to avoid all of the false expectations that we see that can make us feel really bad about our natural bodies. Well, today we're having this discussion with Dr. Jessica Oliva, who's a professor and has done a lot of research that focuses on how to help people develop positive body images and help us understand, hopefully, the influences on how we feel on our body and and how it influences the choices that we make. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Let's dive into those misconceptions that you see around body positivity. What should it actually look like? Yeah, so what we know from body positivity, from the research and people who have a positive body image, is that to them it means loving and respecting and appreciating your body regardless of what it looks like or regardless of whether it meets society's ideas for how a body should look or function. And I think one misconception there is that people think, oh, if I have a positive body image, I have to love everything about my body and I have to think I'm the most beautiful person in the world all the time. Mm -hmm. But that's actually not the case. Um, It just means more like respecting and accepting the body you have. It doesn't necessarily mean thinking that you're the most beautiful person, but it means being okay with the way that you look and also recognizing that sometimes you might not feel that happy about your body, but that's okay if you're able to still love and respect it and take care of it um, overall or more generally speaking. Could you tell us a little bit more about the study that you conducted and, and specifically what protective filtering is? Yes, so we uh, know from the general, like the emerging research on positive body image that people with a positive body image describe what they call protective filtering and they generally describe it as like I filter in the information that positively affects my body and I filter out the information that would negatively impact my body and we thought like this is really interesting and we want to learn more about what that means concretely so we can teach other people those strategies. So we specifically recruited women who self-identified as having a positive body image and in our lab we exposed them to on social media all of these images of the typical beauty ideal and asked them to write down all of the thoughts that come to their mind when they're looking at these images. And then afterwards, in one-on-one interviews, we ask them about their experiences while looking at these images and also ask them how they protect their positive body image when looking at these images in daily life. And by this way, we wanted to try to figure out more about what are those exact strategies that women with positive body image use to foster and promote positive body image Hmm. in their day-to-day lives. 
So walk this out a little bit for us. What were some of the things that were reflected back from those people that you were talking about, the strategies in particular? Yeah. Yeah. So we found like um, five core strategies across this group of women. Um, uh, Four, actually, sorry. We found four core strategies. One of the things that all of the women described doing was being actively critical of the beauty ideal imagery that they saw. So when they were looking at these images, thinking, okay, what is the motivation for this person posting that image, maybe Mm -hmm. to sell a product, to make me feel insecure about myself. Uh, They also criticized, for instance, how modified the images were, or maybe they perceived the woman to have had cosmetic surgery. So really just in general, um, being critical of the images that they saw. Um, Another core theme that was reflected by the women was while looking at those images, thinking, okay, maybe this person is perceived to be beautiful. However, I appreciate the way that my body looks. I like certain things about the way I look. And more importantly, I value my body for what it can do for me. So one participant said, for example, um, even though I might have cellulite on my thighs and I might feel bad about it looking at this image of a model in a bikini, um, if I'm looking at this image, I remind myself, like, I wouldn't be able to walk without my legs. And I'm sitting here now thanks to the support of my thighs. And that's more important than how I look. So that was really, really interesting. Mm. Um, And what was also interesting is that some of the women described, like, being able to also appreciate the beauty of the women in those images, but not taking that personal, like thinking these women look beautiful and I'm happy for them, but I don't need to look like them and that's okay. Um, A third theme was that they focused on the personality and values of the women in the images. So totally shifting away from focusing on their appearance to focusing on Um, the important things that that woman does or maybe her career, what she stands for. And obviously this isn't possible with every beauty ideal image we see because we might not know who that person is. But I think that was also really interesting that they had this tendency to totally shift away from appearance. And then the last strategy that a lot of the women described was being able to link um, the negative impacts that those types of images had on them or on their friends and family in the past. So for example, one participant described how she used to have an eating disorder and really low self-esteem, partly because of the impact of these types of images. And she said, like, looking at these images reminds me of that time. Oh, wow. And I know that I don't want to go back there, and I have worked so hard to feel positive about my body. And therefore, when I look at these images, it just has this negative reminder, and I'm not impacted by them. And I thought that was also a really um, powerful way of looking at those images as a reminder to protect how you feel about your body and also to uh, promote positive body image for people you care about. If you're just joining the conversation, we're talking with Dr. Jessica Oliva about uh, protecting body image and, and and really what that looks like. And you've given some great strategies. It's interesting to note you're in the Netherlands, and I, and I don't think that it was the Netherlands, but certainly in Europe somewhere where within social media and social media influencers, um, they are now being required by law if they if the um, photo, even landscape mm-hmm. photos, have been edited or photoshopped at all. But in particularly with like facial and, and body um, images that will show up on mm-hmm. social media, how how do you think that will impact mm-hmm. this conversation? Mm. Yeah, there's actually some experiments looking at what is the impact of that if on media images you have like a type of warning or uh-huh. a symbol that that image has been edited and photoshopped. And interestingly, there's kind of mixed research on that to date. Um, some studies show that it has a positive impact because it kind of reminds people like, okay, this image has been edited. This is not reality and I shouldn't compare myself to that. And that's good. 
Um, some other studies show it doesn't really have any impact because people know, like, okay, know that this image is not realistic, but I know this is what people find beautiful, and therefore that's what I still think I should strive for. And then there are other studies that show that it actually has a negative impact because it draws more attention to the appearance of that person. Um, so kind of maybe you were just scrolling and not necessarily thinking about appearance, but then the fact that you're reminded, like, oh, this woman edited her body to look slimmer, for example, um, makes you focus on her body and also reminds you like, okay, so society thinks it's better to be slimmer. And then it gets you thinking about your weight or your appearance, which is not necessarily a good thing. I appreciate you sharing the strategies that that people with body positivity use. Um, There's certainly specific things that we could all try out or do a little bit better. But I'm wondering on a on a larger scale, do you think that body positivity can happen if you if you use social media too much? Do you think that there's a correlation? Yeah, so a lot of research or overall reviews of studies on social media show that overall there's a relationship between the more you use social media the more likely you are to feel badly about your body. So based on that, we can say, like, it's good to limit your use of social media. But looking more closely at the research, we find it's particularly when you're using um, platforms that are very visual-based, like Instagram, for example, compared to Twitter. Or even if you are on Instagram, um, there's differences in whether you are following all kinds of celebrities and influencers, which is related to more negative body image, compared to are you following nature photography or are you following Mm -hmm. body positivity influencers? And that can have a more positive effect by shifting your focus away from the beauty idea and towards um, more diverse images of beauty or even towards things that are not related to the body at all. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's um, social media is not going away and it brings us a lot of positive things in our life. And what we know from the research then is that it's really important to be conscious about the way that we're using social media to select who we follow, to positively impact our body image or even to shift our focus away from body image altogether. And that being said, of course, to limit the amount of time in general that we're spending on social media. Great research to share with us. Um, I'm also curious, body positivity is focusing a lot on just accepting our bodies the way that they are right now. And how do you apply those different strategies that you mentioned earlier when we know we should be making sort of a healthy change and and we're in the process of maybe making some some changes that we want to do internally while still sort of loving Mm -hmm. ourselves for who we are? Yeah, that's really interesting because I'm doing research now on women who um, have a positive body image but have experienced negative body image in the past. So what helps them Mm -hmm. on this journey? And it's really curious that a lot of these women are aiming, for instance, to lose weight or they have lost weight and that has helped them to feel more positively about their body. And they say, like, just because the fact that I'm trying to lose weight doesn't mean that I don't love my body Mm. and it's okay if you want to be body positive but also still lose weight. And they say... The important thing is, and this is also what the research supports, is indeed loving and accepting the body that you have now and not trying to attain like an unrealistic standard of beauty and not punishing yourself for not achieving that or for not having progress or what you perceive to progress as quickly as possible. So it has to be from the foundation of doing it from a sense of self-care and love and respect for yourself and taking care of yourself and not doing it because you want to look a certain way or because Mm. you feel that you won't be good enough if you don't achieve that image. So many of these attitudes are developed in our adolescence, especially young girls, but I would Mm -hmm. think, you know, young boys as well. How does the research and, and kind of what you've been sharing, 
how, how does that, first of all, affect uh, our younger adolescents? And then how can we change that effect and be able to help a next generation to be better at protecting their body image? Yeah, so I guess the positive thing is that there's been a recent review showing for women and girls at least that negative body image has kind of plateaued, so it hasn't been increasing over the past years. And one reason for this, we think, is because of the positive impacts of social media, that young people, for instance, are using social media to challenge beauty ideals, to celebrate their individuality, to connect with like-minded others and kind of find their community. Um, For boys, it seems to be that negative body image is slightly increasing because of this exposure to male beauty ideals on social media. But I think it all points to um, supporting young people to when they're using social media seeking out those communities in social media where they see diverse types of bodies and where they connect to other people um, because of shared interests and because of things that are not related to their body. Um, But indeed, like, you have to realize as well that when young people are using social media, Mm -hmm. like, they're also exposed to images of their peers that might try to present an idealized version of beauty. And uh, they also see the number of likes under images and the comments people make. So that at the same time also confronts them a lot more with the appearance of others and what other people think about that and who's popular. And, And there as well, I think it's really important to support young people in being critical of the use of social media, being critical of body ideals, um, and just in general teaching them to identify, um, this is what the research supports as well, like what are things that you are good at and that you love doing and that you enjoy that are not related to your physical appearance and that can help you to value your body more for what it can do rather than how it looks. Um, But it is a challenge, especially in adolescence, because there is this growing emphasis on appearance and wanting to look good for your peers and finding a boyfriend or girlfriend. And um, it is an especially challenging time with regard to body image. Yeah. I'm wondering what the correlation is between people sharing their own body positivity and helping others to do the same. What actually works? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's really important to you that there's a lot of experiments now testing like what is the causal effect of looking at these images of the body positivity movement because mm-hmm. um, some people were very concerned like that this would promote unhealthy lifestyles or people not wanting to take care of their body because it's just okay however they look. But actually the research shows that looking at images of the body positivity movement helps people themselves to love and accept their body. Um, Women report, for example, like seeing more diverse women in body positive media helps them to see like if that woman can celebrate and accept her body and she looks more similar to me, then I can do that too. So it kind of works as like an inspiration for people and promoting just in general, like seeing the beauty in all types of bodies and body ages and ethnicities and so on. Um, And so we know also that having more positive body image is related to higher self-esteem. It's related to uh, taking better care of your body, to doing physical activities that you love, to eating nutritious foods. So overall, I think the research shows that body positive media helps us to have more diverse ideas about what it means to be beautiful. It helps us to be critical of media imagery and to love and accept ourselves more. And that in turn is related to more well-being. So I think it's really important to um, to seek out body positive influencers if that's the kind of thing well, that you're into and if you use social media. It's just so encouraging, you know, in, in a time where we're constantly saying, oh, we're being bombarded. What can we do? It's encouraging to know that something mm-hmm. is uh, moving the needle to a healthier attitude for us and for continuing generations. And the impact... Yeah, that... exactly. And I... Oh, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say it's very encouraging as well because it's something that individuals themselves can choose to do Mm because a lot of things are outside of our control. But this is something that we can choose. We can choose to shape the media that we consume, and that's that's really positive as well. The effects and impact of social media on us is in such an early state when you think less than 20 years ago none of this existed (laughs) and, and we continue to play it out. What will be the next thing that within you and your research you're hoping to figure out more about? Yeah, I'm so the research I'm currently doing now, I think I briefly mentioned, is that we're inviting women, uh, this study specifically in, in Canada, women who self-identify as having a positive body image, but also as having a body that differs or deviates from societal norms. So we want to know more about in this particular group of women, what has helped them to shift away from negative body image and to develop positive body image. And women sign up, for example, who have a physical disability or a visible difference Mm. or who have considered themselves to be obese. Um, So all kinds of people have recovered from a physical illness, Mm. all kinds of different um, experiences. And we're learning from these different women all of the different common experiences that they share in terms of becoming resilient, um, learning to live in this world where they felt that their body is not okay, and learning to love and accept their body. And then we want to use all of this information we learn from them to try to teach that to to other people who don't necessarily have a positive body image. So I think that's going to be a big area of work to still sure. dive into is like, what can we learn from these women? And then how can we teach that to other people? If people want to follow along your research, where can they see it? Uh, thank you. So I share a lot of my research on Twitter, <laughs> on social media. So I just said at Jessica Aliva. And I also write a lot about my research and other uh, body image research on my blog for psychology today. So Uh, I think you can maybe share that in the show notes, but the blog is called Mind Your Body and it's hosted by um, Psychology Today, by the website and Popular Psychology Magazine. Dr. Jessica Oliva, thanks for being on the show with us.